1928, the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, held their national convention in Denver. It was one of the organization's first conferences held outside of the eastern United States and served to begin the NAACP's desire to include the West and its new growth. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Since that national convention here, the NAACP has had a consistent presence in the community, both city and suburbs. Today, the Aurora chapter is the most active in the region. With the demonstrations in the streets of Denver and Aurora, the NAACP has its take on the meaning of those actions and next steps to change going forward. On this edition, we continue our conversation with NAACP Aurora chapter president, Mr. Omar Montgomery. We have to also remember that during the civil rights marches, there were white people on the front lines during the... Um, when they were doing the bus desegregation and right. they were the, the freedom rides, that was, um, it was diversity on those buses as well. We have to remember during the sixties that our, um, Latinx brothers and sisters, African Americans and blacks, our um, Puerto Rican brothers and sisters, our American Indian, Native Americans brothers and sisters all came together during the sixties to address inequities. So I think now because of the, uh, because of social media, and because people feel more comfortable after the Aubrey case sharing how they feel, we're going to continue to see more white allies lead marches, more, out, more, more white allies speak out and say, I want to use my privilege to create systemic change. There has been change that has occurred since the 60s and 70s. A lot of things still need to be worked on, but now it's not like it was then. I will say it's not like it was then, but we still have to look at where we were. Let's say overt racism is not here. Jim Crow is not here. We, we can we can say Jim Crow is not here. Uh, yeah. Jim Crow was killed uh, through, a, through a great lawyer uh, in, in the NAACP by the name of Charles Hamilton Houston and his legal team that also trained Thurgood Marshall. We can say that after Brown versus Board of Education, we begin to see that overt racism dissipate after the um, Selma march, after the march in um, Cicero, Illinois, with Martin Luther King, where he said that was probably one of the most scariest marches he um, participated in. After you right. begin to see the, um, after you begin to see different agencies that traditionally uh, discriminated against people of color, you're beginning to see people of color lead these agencies. We had our first. Black president, President Barack Obama. But even with all those advancements, we still have the highest poverty rates, highest immortality rates. Um, when, it, when we begin to look at health care, we still see that African Americans, with all the things that have taken place, still do not have equal access to health care. When we begin to look at our population in the United States compared to our compared to prison rates. That we are, you still see a disproportionate of African Americans based on our population in the United States in prisons because of um, issues dealing with the law enforcement community. So we still have a long way to go. We still have a legislature that wants to um, roll back the advances of the Voting Rights Act. And so whoever yeah. the next president may be, that hopefully they'll restore. All the, day, all the provisions in the Voting Rights Act 
and also expand access to voting, not just for black people. I'm talking about for all people, are people that are um, disabled who can't get to the polls, people who are working during that time of day and can't get to the polls, and making it easier for people to vote so that our voices can be heard throughout the United States. These are some of the things we're still fighting for today that we were fighting for yesterday. Yes, there have been improvements. Yes, I'm happy with those improvements, but we still have to, we still can't let up because there's still inequities that exist we have to address. Do you think that if we really put a lot of emphasis in achieving equity and fairness and openness in voting that those uh, those strategies or that uh, accomplishment can uh, spill over to affect other areas of of uh, discrimination and that kind of thing as well. Yes, you know they always say um, your vote is probably your greatest weapon for change in the United States. And so, if there are people that believe that um, inequity still exists, that um, there are health care issues we need to address. There are education issues we need to address. There's environmental justice issues we need to address. Then people need to go out and vote for the person that represents their values. Um, because a person votes opposite of me, that doesn't mean that they still don't have these same concerns. It's just for me, I feel like there are certain people who are running for office today, in my personal opinion, who, um, who openly say, these are my concerns. Here what I'm going to do to create the change. And when I get in office, you can hold me accountable. I think today we're going to see more elected officials held accountable for what they say and what they do during any other time in our history. From the multicultural nature of the demonstrations that have been taking place, are you seeing, too, the issues that they are in the streets for expanding to include concerns of Latino and Hispanic communities as well as Asian populations? Yes, because what I'm seeing is, for example, Black Lives Matter people um, linking up with the people at the detention center in Aurora, where we have people who are, are, are immigrant and refugees who came here to try to find a better life, ended up in a jail. They're out there protesting with them. You have um, issues related to women's rights where you have Black Lives Matters group addressing issues related to women. Um, the LGBTQ community, you see where those issues are being addressed. What you're seeing in a, is an alliance of um, different groups coming together, focusing on single issues for change. So right now, yeah. Black Lives Matter in regards to law enforcement, next thing you know, they're going to um, look at the group and say, okay, this is another immediate issue. We need to have a mass voice behind. So I am excited to see that these different groups are coming together to support each other. And um, I think through that support, you're going to begin to see change in other areas and not just law enforcement and policing. Well, some uh, some writers have written that because of the uh, you look at the uh, the young people that are part of that are really the the core of the demonstrations taking place. There are no generations out there that remember segregation or any of those other Jim Crow kinds of things in, in America. So they have a fresh new look on what the issues are and what has to be done about them. So they're not looking back trying to recapture what what 
what was going on then, but build something new and different and equitable for everybody going forward. Yes, we have to remember, we're celebrating. Matter of fact, uh, um, depending on what day this aired, this is the day where they had the celebration of life for John Lewis, and right. um, Congressman John Lewis. And Congressman John Lewis was 23 years old when he crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge and received a fractured skull just because he wanted people to have the equal right to vote. By the way, they had no weapons. They had no guns. The only weapon they had was a Bible. So right. you look fast forward to today. Um, we have youth who are out there, some younger than 23 years old, some of them in high school, some of them um, just graduated from high school, and they're out there letting their voice be heard. I hope that they remember the primary tenets of what John Lewis means when he says getting into good trouble, that we do it, that we're nonviolent, that we make sure our voice is heard, that we show up in masses, and that we uphold those um, basic virtues of protesting, that it's nonviolent that we have a mission, and that we have a goal that we want to see accomplished at the end, and that once that goal is accomplished, that you continue to find what is the next thing that we need to have an impact on. Because after, we have to remember, after um, the Voting Rights Act, it was John Lewis that was also addressing issues related to poverty. He was also addressing issues that was related to education. We only remember the Edmund Pettus Bridge. But he continued that fight on up to him um, coming out of his house, putting himself at risk to stand on the street where it was painted Black Lives Matter. So we have to understand that the fight is continuous. It is a marathon and not a sprint. And I truly believe that our youth today has that same spirit spirit that John Lewis had during the Civil Rights Movement. Do you think the enthusiasm is going to continue because, you know, every, some people say, well, the, the uh, you know, no justice, no peace, and we're going to be in the street all the time. But you and I probably both know that after a while the enthusiasm winds down some as other elements of life that they have to matter, that they have to cope with, will come in to take over. And those of us who live in the Northern Hemisphere know that when the snow and ice comes out there, there will be less demonstrations. But the bottom line is, you think this group has the fortitude and the uh, the spirit to continue to work inside the system to get the change that they want done permanently? I think they do, and I think many of them are. If you look at, let's just take a person like Tay Anderson. Um, Tay Anderson is on the school board while also an activist in the community. You look at someone yeah. like Lisa um, Lisa Calderon and um, Candy C. DeBaca. Uh, when you look at Juan McCarno in the city of Aurora and Allison Coons, Crystal Murillo, Nicole Johnson, um, Allison Hiltz, I mean, Angela Lawson, uh, these are people who are work, who who are working within the system, while at times um, lending their voice to be advocates in the community as well. Some of them right. are out there marching and protesting. Some of them are not. I think what you're seeing is um, people out there in the street saying, "Hey, in this mass voice, I stand with you and I feel your pain." When I leave here, I'm gonna go serve on the board or commission 
or I'm going to run for office so I can take this same energy and begin to have a seat at the table in order to see it manifest in policy, laws, and um, in other ways that they'll be able to change if they are an elected official or serving on the commission or board. So when I look out and see the people protesting, I see um, people that are already working within the system and carrying that energy into the um, areas of um, public service outside of protesting. Is the NAACP looking at putting together, I can't say programs or trainings or facilitations to uh, help some of these young people uh, understand how the system works internally so they can be much more effective when they come inside to continue working on what they want to get done? Um, we've been doing that. We work with, uh, we just partnered with a organization called YASPA, and, 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 and I'll forget the acronym, but Dr. Janice Mackey is the CEO of this, mm-hmm. of this nonprofit. And what we do is we work with them to teach civic engagement to our youth. We just had a um, another uh, event where we did a Know Your Rights event. So right. we're constantly doing these workshops. We do workshops on Black Lives Matter. What does it really mean? Similar to what we're the, we're talking about, we also do it with agencies that's trying to get an understanding of what does this concept mean? Why are some people fearful of it? With with uh, but because they have a lack of education about it. We also talk about what are some of the things that the private sector and that the public sector can do moving forward. Um, as we begin to talk about Black Lives Matter, we're also seeing the uptick in urban violence because of poverty, because of other inequities that exist. And while we're talking about policing, we also have to talk about our unhoused. Uh, what are we going to do during COVID-19 for those people who don't have access to Wi-Fi, for people who don't have access to computers and school about to start? Um, those who are privileged enough to have that access to technology will be fine. But what about if their parents have to go to work and not be there with them? These are things we also have to address outside of policing so that these kids will have a safe place to go to and not get in trouble and be productive citizens in society. Mr. Omar Montgomery, President of the Aurora Chapter of the NAACP. Many thanks to him for being our guest again for this edition. No matter the community in which you reside, you can join the work of the NAACP Aurora Chapter. You can learn more online at auroracoloradonaacp.org and on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay in your game. And many thanks to you as well for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.